0: Will you please stand with me as we read our evening lesson from the New Testament, the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and verses 16 through 18. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, it's an honor and a blessing to get to be with you this evening as we start together our season of preparing for and focusing on the risen Christ. On this and every Ash Wednesday, we take time to consider the fact that we as humans are both bent towards sinning and that in humanity we are mere mortal beings. We reflect on the deep roots going back to Genesis, in which we are reminded that by dust of the earth we were, crea- were created, and so shall too we return. We begin our season of Lent this way, reflecting on our sin and mortality, because in our journey towards the cross, we are reminded that through Christ both sin and death have been defeated. And so in this season of fasting, repentance, and spiritual discipline, we shift our focus towards the cross. Now, when I was in my first month of my freshman year of high school, I was most definitely loved just about any bit of attention that I could get. I don't think that it would be a stretch at all to say that I was one of those boys. I was not overly mischievous, but I've heard it described as this. Adam was that kid in the back not doing the wrong thing, but jumping up and down nonetheless excited and encouraging the one that was doing the wrong thing. My focus at that point in life was exactly where it should have been, baseball and girls. Maybe a little bit of schoolwork on the side, but mostly baseball and girls. Which leads me to how I found myself in the basement of a church on Franklin Road for the first time. I'd grown up going to church occasionally here and there, but it had never really become a constant in my life. And I have to be honest that I never really gave it much thought. And I think at this point, God was willing to use one of my main focuses to see if I'd give it a real try. So a girl I was interested in spending my time with when I was not on the baseball field invited me to church. I, of course, agreed, and a long story short... Here I am today as we begin Lent together, a time in which we begin to consider our focus, a time in which we consider for 40 days the sacrifice made for us upon the cross. And so tonight I want us to take some time to consider our focus, where we place most of our attention and prepare together for a journey towards the cross. And the passage that we are taking a look at this evening begins the second major section of Jesus' largest teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. This section is commonly referred to as the temple service, in which the reader finds themselves instructing on three acts of righteousness before God. Acts that were fundamental to the Jewish faith, familiar to the temple, and seemingly were going to be to the new way that Jesus was laying out for his disciples. These familiar practices of almsgiving, Prayer and fasting, while familiar, need some further explaining, some refining. It's interesting that sometimes the things that we are most familiar with, those are the things, the basics, the things that need a little bit of work in us. And Jesus, in this passage, is intent on setting the disciples and all those who will come after right. When you give to the poor, don't blow your trumpet like the hypocrites do out in the public. Actually, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, don't do it sitting on the street corner so people will see you. Go behind a closed door. Pray there to your Father. When you fast, don't put on a sad face so that people know that you are fasting. Instead, brush your hair, wash your face, and look put together so that only your Father will know that you are fasting. It's these basics, sometimes, that we need a little help with. And I think that we'll find this evening that the basics have much more to do with the intentions than the how-tos. When you look deeper into this passage, you can tell right off the bat that the writer is wanting to grab the attention with metaphors that are clearly not literal to the times. Giving. When you give to the poor in the temple, don't call attention to yourselves. Don't blow your trumpets as the hypocrites. Now, theologians and scholars say there's little evidence to support the idea that when a large gift was presented in the temple, trumpets sounded just so everyone was aware of how big the gift was. Can you imagine sitting on the pews on Sunday morning during the offering hearing trumpets blast only when the plate is passed by certain people? or if maybe we all started bringing our own trumpets to service just to make sure everybody knew how much we gave. Davis, I hate to say it, but I think that you might hear a trumpet start blowing when they think you've gone on a little bit too long. (laughs) It's kind of a two-for-one. It's kind of a, I gave my gift, now hurry up, lunch is waiting. The metaphors continue. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Sometimes I read some of this, and I wonder if Matthew really proofread what he wrote. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I've never done something with one hand that has left my other hand baffled or bewildered. But here Jesus is teaching us about the basics and our focus in the midst of them. Of course, we are to practice helping others and give generously. However, Jesus is saying, leave the trumpet at home. If your heart is delighted more by the amount of people that applauded you or liked your posts on social media than by the presence of the Holy Spirit that called you to serve, reconsider, says Jesus. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly. Jesus in this passage is not calling us to avoid the moments in which we will be able to inspire or call others by the side of our giving or serving. This warning is merely against the sole motivation of resting in the praise we find in humil- humanity instead of the result of living a life focused on something bigger than ourselves. I want to jump now to the third instruction we get in the passage. The third instruction is about fasting. The voluntary um, abstention from food or other essentials for a period of time. Surely some of you tonight have just had your last Starbucks or you're savoring the last little bits of moments you have on Instagram for the next 40 days, even while I preach. In the times in which this was written, some traditions would not only fast but also put on sackcloth, cover their heads in ashes, and stop washing their bodies. So if you see me next week wearing a burlap bag covered in ashes and can smell me from across the cross of the narthex, I've not fallen on hard times. I'm just giving up Starbucks for Lent. The passage, however, does instruct its readers to fast slightly differently than the current times and traditions. When you fast, brush your hair, wash your face. Don't look like you're fasting, but only look that way to God. Jesus, in this passage, is starting to reframe some of the basics for us and give us a new focus. I remember being in high school and going to visit my grandmother with my dad. It was about a 12-hour drive, and my dad chose chose to drive us through the night. I remember walking in the door the next morning, acting as though I had been deprived from all that was good in the world, just to hear, "'Bless your little heart,' from my grandmother." Little did she know, I had slept the whole time in the back seat, allowing my dad to drive the whole way. But I loved the sympathy. The focus here should not be on getting as much sympathy as possible, but tuning our hearts with empathy for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So I want to go now back to prayer, the middle section of this passage. And honestly, the one that stuck the most out to me as I spent time studying on this passage. When you, pray like, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father there. The command here is simple. Make your prayer directed only towards God. Make God the only audience in which you are focused upon. As in our other sections, the action is not being the one being condemned here, but the motive for performing for others. The act of impressing instead of seeking a tuned heart to the God of the universe Prayer, we are told in this passage, does not require a holy place, but rather the understanding that the presence of God in this place makes the most ordinary of spaces the holiest of holies. Don't seek to prepare for an audience that's fleeting, but rather sit and embrace the God that is big enough to create everything, yet personal enough to sit behind a closed door with you and with me. Don't fill your prayer with fancy words. There's no perfect formula. Just talk to God and align our hearts with His. Depending on the translation that you would read in tonight's lesson, the sections are entitled Showy. Showy religion, showy prayer, showy fasting. Showy. It's over the top. It's gaudy. It's loud. It's swanky. It's being Mr. Fancy Pants. It's bougie. It's flipping the bat after a home run. It's living in a way in which the biggest concern is directly related to how to get the biggest applaud. This whole section has little to do with the contrast between public and private worship or between external and internal behavior. The focus is, bu- is upon who we seek our focus in the midst. Do we desire the pat on the back from our peers or the acceptance of a savior? Because I have to tell you this evening, The praise from your peers will waver, but the act done on the cross, the acceptance we have received there, has not and will not change. We don't have to be showy because God's already done all the showing off. Personally, I don't want to be showy because I know if I follow the teachings of this passage, my life would look a lot more like me pointing at a Savior than me trying to be one. It will look like someone that admits I've got more to learn than I know and willing to walk a journey towards a cross because I know it will strip me of me and because I know when I get there, I don't have to climb up on it. It's already been done for me and for you. The journey of Lent, it changes our focus and it's supposed to. The journey over the next 40 days is supposed to remind us of our mortality so we can strip us of us and be filled with a love that lasts in eternity. Earlier I said the part of this passage that stuck out to me the most was that middle section on prayer. I think it stuck out to me because of the way that the message puts it. It says it like this. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet place, secluded place, so that you won't be tempted to role-play for God. Just be there, as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will slowly shift from you to God, and then you will begin to sense his grace. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. So I must ask you this evening, as we begin this Lenten season together, where is your focus? I told you earlier where my focus was when I was 15 years old. What I didn't tell you about my story at the beginning was the part in which I truly believe God was speaking to me and preparing me for a shift in my focus. It was the spring of my 8th grade year. High school was clearly in sights for everybody. But I was sitting, feeling lost and confused at my grandfather's desk in Jacksonville, Florida. He had passed away the day before, and I was at a loss of how to process how I was feeling. There's a lot in a name to me. Being named the fourth in a line for my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather meant the world to me. It meant carrying on a line and a legacy And as I sat at his desk, I thought about all that I had learned from him, the legacy that he had left in his community, in his work, and for his family. And I wondered how I would even begin to go about adding to that. I stared at his desk for what seems like an eternity to an eighth grader. Out of the mounds of all the paperwork and projects on his desk, one thing caught my eye. There, towards the back edge of his desk, was a shiny, brand-new penny with the shape of a cross cut out of the middle of it. For me, it was an immediate answer. I knew the next chance that I got, I'd go to church. I had no idea that God would use a girl to get my attention or that I'd be sent to a church on Franklin Road in which I'd eventually get baptized, that I would pray at that altar for clarity to a call to ministry. That I'd kneel at that same altar 13 years later to become a pastor, that I'd say goodbye to my mother there, or that I'd stand in its pulpit blessed to proclaim the word of God as a pastor to the congregation that believed in me. Because that's what happens when you sit and simply focus and be before God and wait for him to show up. Your focus will shift from you to him to him And the cross will become your focus, and it will change everything about you. So tonight, I want to ask, are you bold enough to take this season to simply be before God as simply and honest as you can to allow God to shift your focus towards the work the cross has done in our lives? Because I can promise you something. It's going to change everything. In the kingdom, it's calling. I texted Sam last Monday night, who's now a junior in college. I got one of those those urges as I walked from the gym to my truck that I just had to reach out to him. So I texted him really simply. I said, hey, bud. He had repeatedly told me during his high school years here that he hated being called bud. After some time, I got three responses real quickly. He said, I miss you. Are you excited with your life right now? And how is it with your soul? I don't know about you, but I need that question in this next season. How is it with your soul? If I'm honest, my soul could use some time to just simply be still, be honest with God, and allow God to take over my hopes and dreams so that they might not be mine, but kingdom dreams and kingdom hopes. Because we might struggle with our focus but I assure you the kingdom of God, it won't struggle. It's got a king, and we've got a savior, and everything else is just a bit showy. Let it be so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.